0: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast, and it's a bit of a strange Paddock Pass podcast this time because Adam Wheeler has joined the show. It's a dirty. We're gonna. You've interrupted me already, Ed. In a pure sense, Steve. In a pure sense. Well, I was going to make a plug for we're usually on track with the Paddock Pass podcast, but this time we're trying to have some off-road stuff. But I don't really know where on-track off-road would have anything to do with you, Ad. But on this week's Paddock Pass podcast, we're going to look at the start of the Supercross season. And uh, obviously, Supercross is the pretty much the only race we're going to have for the foreseeable future until we're back in action for MotoGP, World Superbikes and everything else. But this really is where the world's attention
1: shifts towards dirt this is into your world yeah i mean you can't argue against the the profile of supercross steve i mean i think even in terms of audience um, participation attendance whatever else it's the second biggest series in the world behind MotoGP. um you know it's, it's it involves pr- quite a big uh, presence from the manufacturers um there's big budgets into the racing Um, You know, since the mid 80s, it's a series that's uh, had 16 to 17 rounds that dots around the US and bizarrely for I think for the last 15, it's been an FIM World Championship as well, despite the fact it hasn't hardly ventured outside the United States, certainly since like 2003, I think, where they tried a couple of races in in Holland and Spain. Um, It's bounced into Canada, but yeah, Supercross is a big deal. And I think, you know, traditionally the, uh, the opening round, Anaheim won. Uh, you know, just outside Los Angeles has has been uh, kind of billed as one of the biggest races, you know, of the calendar year, you know, aside from Dakar, which obviously is running as as we're speaking now. But, you know, Anaheim won that first race. You know, you'll see a lot of MotoGP riders there. You'll see a lot of industry presence there. Um, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big series. Yeah, you mentioned Dakar there. Ad, and
0: for me, like, I always think Dakar is quite cool, but I don't really have that much interest in the race. Whereas with Supercross, I think Supercross is quite cool, but I really love that it's just action all the way. It's you know twenty minutes, and the whole way through that that race, it, you don't know where to look. There's always something on screen. There's always something to look for.
1: Yeah, for almost twenty years, I've managed to shoehorn a couple of um, Supercross uh, races into the schedule uh, in between Motocross and and, and MotoGP, and it's um, it's a fantastic format. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of the the US motorcycle industry, you know, a lot of the attention um, and the the money, uh, the business is focused around those 17 rounds that run from January to May, um, you know, to the detriment sometimes of the outdoor, uh, the AMA Pro National Series. Um, They kind of live squashed together making a long calendar for the riders it's usually around about 30 events plus um if you include invitationals like the monster energy cup in october things like the red bull straight rhythm that's popped up in the last few years the motocross of nations uh, ama you know motocross riders uh they have a busy schedule um but yeah supercross is uh you know, it warrants. Um, it has the format. It has the 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 stage. You know, in NFL and baseball stadiums, um, to to fit that kind of spectacle inside. I mean, it's a. You go to an opening ceremony. It's full of lights, fireworks, everything. I mean, guy, people who are listening to this will probably know the word Supercross and may have, maybe have seen some footage. Um, it's, it's it's like a, a lot of uh, power and punch packed into like a two to three hour show
0: what's the big difference between supercross and motocross ad
1: um well i mean you got the the setting i mean it's a 20 minute kind of main event roughly uh you'll have over the years they've had different kind of qualifications feeding into that from heats to semis and whatever else but you have uh you know i mean something like the monster energy cup in Las Vegas, just an annual one-off thing is they try to have a, a track that blends Supercross and Motocross. It's much longer than a traditional Supercross layout, which is full of rhythm sections, jumps, um, a lot of technique, a lot of uh, ver- even though even though the track looks quite narrow, there's a lot of variety in the way that you can approach. Um, the different sections, and you have to be so precise while also being aggressive and having a lot of racecraft. So, the big difference is obviously motocross outdoors using a lot of natural lie of the land, um, especially for the older school circuits. Um, Supercross is much more condensed, I think, uh, is, is the best way to say it.
0: And just in terms of the riders then as well, do you tend to have it where the guys that are good outdoors are good in Supercross as well? Or is there any real specialists that people need to keep an eye out for?
1: There, There is transfer of skills. I mean, you do tend to get super, Supercross specialists, um, but, you know, you have guys, I mean... It, Some exceptional motocross athletes, people like James Stewart, Ryan Villapodo, Ryan Dungy, Ricky Carmichael, of course, who, you know, forged a template in terms of performance and riding style, you know, around the turn of um, the century, certainly through the noughties, um, he kind of established a basis that a lot of riders now and the next generations in the US are following. So it's, uh you know, the, there is a lot of crossover, Steve, but you do get, you know, certain Supercross specialists, um, riders like, for example, the name Justin Brayton springs to mind, you know, a veteran sort of 30, 30 years plus, um, extremely capable inside the stadiums and on that kind of circuit format, but maybe not having the same kind of level outdoors. Yeah, and the
0: format for the season as well, I'd obviously last year sort of, precipitated a change for supercross they needed to be able to condense the season they've carried that forward for this year as well
1: yeah i would say one of the the most distinguishing features of supercross is the intensity of it you'll have 17 rounds in 18 to 19 weeks um running concurrently but it's Uh, this year or at the end of 2020, you know, you had those last seven rounds shoe hoarding to a very small period in Salt Lake City, uh, bringing the series to a close this year, you're going to have 17 rounds in just seven stadiums. Um, you know, four of those venues in Houston, Indianapolis, Arlington and Atlanta are running triple headers. So that's going to be a Saturday, Tuesday and a Saturday. Um, there's been a lot of debate about this, uh, you know, building into the season, you know, how will riders deal with that? Are they going to like it? Um, you know, we'll speak to Zach Osborne shortly. Um, the guy who won the last round uh, of 2020, um, and also, you know, one of the kind of outside sort of favorites you could say for 2021. And he believes that, you know, you'll hear his words, but he says that kind of format is actually going to be kind of beneficial because instead of the riders flying straight out of the race, riding during the week and then heading back to the race, they're going to be sticking around racing again on Tuesday and then keeping the whole thing much more compact, you can say. We saw it in MXGP last year um, when the guys were running triple headers and there was some skepticism as to whether that would be too much, um, especially if riders have to deal with small injuries that they're going to pick up, um, which is always, always, always... Um, kind of a hallmark of of supercross really it's it's a race of attrition as much as it is skill and speed
0: and uh, you mentioned there about the triple headers and how the organizers are going to have to try and basically create a season but will they have different tracks from one round to the next whenever they're doing those triple headers or will it always be the same venue same layout
1: yeah, it's the same venue, but, um, you know, Supercross and Feld, uh, in particular, the promoters have been using a crew called Dirtworks for a number of years. I couldn't even tell you how many years those guys have been uh, shaping the, the outlook of Supercross. I mean, there's been criticism in recent years that the tracks have been too cookie cutter, you know, too kind of similar, but you know, for sure, when you have just one stadium, like you'll see with the launch of the series in Houston, which will be the first time that Supercross for I think 25 years has, has started somewhere that's not California, um, you'll see them mixing up. I mean, there'll be three different tracks very much. And that's, again, a big difference to MHGP like we saw last year, because a race somewhere like Fienzo in Italy, it was such a small hard pack, um, you know, very much a f- forged track on the side of a hill that you couldn't do much with it, but I think you'll see three different kind of supercross tracks in Houston in a couple of weeks or next week.
0: And as you mentioned, that we've got an interview with Zach Osborne. We're going to play
1: that now. But what was your impressions from uh, Zach when you were talking to him? Yeah, I mean, he seems confident. Um, you know, Zach, I think is one of the outside, like I said, one of the sort of dark horses to pick a cliche uh, for for the series. I think, uh, his program of Alden Baker, a famed trainer, obviously you help Ricky Carmichael, Ryan Dungey, and Ryan Villapodo. to so many championships, um, is, is a big benefit. I mean, he's training week in, week out with Rebel KTM duo, Cooper Webb and Marvin Muskan. Uh, has been, you know, one of the protagonists for a couple of years and Cooper Webb, of course, was the 2019 champion. So, you know, that kind of level of work and Osborne's kind of, you know, he's a, he's a late bloomer. I mean, I think he's 31 now. So his, you know, his m- maturation, I guess you can say, his development or his evolution with the 450 means he's going to be right in there.
0: You mentioned his trainer as well. Lad. Just before we listen to what Zach has to say, how important is the role of the trainer in Supercross and motocross?
1: It's big. I mean, I think most of the the main guys, you know, are going to have somebody they're working with, um, usually ex-riders, people like Nick Way. Uh, I'm trying to think of names off the top of my head Uh, Ryan Hughes um, you know someone like Tyler Rattray as well you're going to have X races bringing not only their their knowledge of physical preparation but also the mental demands that you know you need to get through again that season that is so busy and so compact with a lot of traveling a lot of pressure a lot of media attention Um, you know you do have guys they're, they're essential I mean if you go in without somebody then i think you you're either hugely experienced or very 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 uh secure in what you can do and what you know
0: well let's get the chance now to hear from rock star husqvarna rider zach osborne
1: uh zach osborne thanks for joining us um we're calling you from spain in the evening um it's obviously late afternoon where you are it's a matter of hours and uh, minutes until you know, the start of the Supercross season, um, where are you kind of mentally at the moment? Is it a case of just, you know, the clock ticking down, you want to get to Houston? Um, or, you know, is it kind of like, you know, a last few things to cross off the list to get ready? What's, what's going on?
2: Yeah, so typically we ride Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday during like our training camp period. And um, this week we are down to Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we fly on Thursday to have all the corona tests on on thursday afternoon and and friday so uh, this is kind of the last period where today has been more just hanging out with the family and um tidying some things up for the for the rv and stuff to leave uh in the next couple of days so um yeah it's a bit of uh, a bit of calm before the storm if you will
1: i think i worked out that this is your your night season um supercross you know since coming back from europe uh, and obviously like a stint doing grand prix for four or five years um but you know obviously it's a very different one i mean you're not starting at anaheim and i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that anaheim one is is one of the most exciting motorcycle races you know of any series anywhere i mean there's always a lot of hype about it it's sold out there's a lot of kind of vips running around the paddock um you know, this time the season is going to start in a very weird way. I mean, do you, does one half of you think that's a bit of a shame or, you know, is it just going to be like first race excitement? It doesn't really matter what's going on.
2: Well, I think there's definitely a little bit less hype, if you will, and a little bit less, um, I, I anticipate there to be a little bit less atmosphere than the typical season opener. But I mean, at this point, we're all just happy to go racing, right? Like we're, we're 10 months into this whole thing. And, um, we're just happy to have a, a schedule that seems quite solid at the moment and be able to to go racing.
1: What kind of, um, I mean, you're going in as like, you know, the outdoor motocross champion. Um, it's not the first time you're starting a season either as a, you know, a guy that people fancy for the title or defending, you know, a, a championship. I mean, that you've done that before. But what's, what's different about 2021? Do you feel different? I mean, is there a little bit more kind of pressure and expectation around you?
2: Actually, I feel a lot less pressure, you know, from a personal standpoint. Um, maybe the expectations have gone up a little bit from, from outside my circle. But for me personally, it's just gone, not the expectation, but the the pressure has gone down with the expectation, if you will, just because of being able to, to wrap that outdoor title up and kind of solidify myself as one of the guys um, in the 450 class, you know, just to, to be in that elite group and really – feel like I belong has been a massive weight off my shoulders. And it's just allowed me a lot of kind of peace over this off season to just um, go every day and do what I feel is right. And, and not always just hammer at the practice track. And um, that's kind of something I learned over the summer was just to really kind of trust my instincts a little bit more and, and know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And um, I think that that's probably the biggest thing going into this season is just being able to, really relax and go race and have fun more than, than be under so much pressure.
1: What about like um, the work with Alden and and the regime? I mean, you're there with, with Marvin, uh, with Cooper, uh, you know, Marvin's, you know, an experienced guy as well, plus 30, kind of a similar age range to you. Um, How, how has that kind of been different or is it, is it really just been business as usual?
2: It's pretty business as usual. I mean, we're all pretty level-headed guys and we realize you know the benefit of each other so there's not a lot of shenanigans or games where you know Marvin I like you said are 31 and Coop's 25 he's a he's a seasoned champion and we all kind of know that the the level's high every day and there's always going to be kind of everybody's going to have their days you know good and bad so we we all have a mutual respect for that and um yeah other than the occasional four-time joke between me and Cooper or, or you know just stuff like that it's it's been pretty business as usual
1: zach um what's your view on the the intensity of the calendar because um you know listening to the pulp mx show a couple of weeks ago ryan Villapodo and jake moima i mean rv seem to have the opinion that these kind of like uh yeah, three races in one week could be something that's you know around. It could be sticking around that kind of format. Um, what, what's your feeling about that? Is it a little bit too much to handle, or how do you? I know you have to embrace what's ahead of you, but you know, if you had a choice between you know consecutive weekends or that kind of rhythm, what would you prefer?
2: Well, to me, it's like having half a job. You know, the the hardest thing for us is the travel here. Here in the states, we we race on Saturday night till you know, you're up, up until one, 2 a.m. You wake up on at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, you fly home. You're at the track on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, you fly again on Friday, all the training that goes in between, you know, there's a lot of riding and, and training and just grind that doesn't have to happen with these races. So to me, you know, I would be, I would be happy with them adding five or even 10 more races to the season. If they would do these Tuesday things, because, for us it's it's three days less riding or two days less riding and one day more racing excuse me um during the week than what it is in a you know a normal saturday to saturday program so um to me it's it's just a much better system we're we're not really wasting laps and longevity and and energy during the week we're going racing and and i think that that's more how it should be
1: is it when it comes to dirt works and fixing the tracks, I mean, three times in one stadium, I mean, if the dirt sucks on the first night, I mean, I know you can maybe wet it and make it diff- different and change the texture of it, but you know, do you get to the third event and you're thinking, well, you know, I really could do with something kind of different here. Or do you, do you know what to expect?
2: I think it's probably more consistent and more controllable for the, the second and third events, because, you know, just like say, take an indie for, for example, um, when the dirt comes in if it happens to be snowing that week or whatever the the dirt can be super soft and wet and you take it in you know inside for four or five days and it, it dries up and you have a completely different surface which I think you saw kind of in Salt Lake a little bit of that where we had I mean everything under the sun we had a complete dust bowl the first week um, the, the the next race was a little better the next one was a complete mudder you know there, there's there's a lot of factors so to me, I think it's, it's a really good thing. I think that they do have, it's a hard turnaround for, for the Dirtworks guys to build a completely new track in two days and then do it it again in three days, you know, right after that. So, but I think that they, you know, especially this year with a little bit more, um, lead way on how the things were going to go, they were able to design tracks to where they weren't, uh, they weren't moving so much dirt. They were just kind of pushing lanes around and that that'll make a big difference on the finish of the track, I believe. So I think this year it's going to be a little bit smoother than say the last seven races in Salt Lake, but, um, definitely this, this format suits me and I prefer it heavily prefer it to the normal Saturday to Saturday.
1: Just talking about the technical side for a moment. I mean, I think this is your third season on the 450. Um, first season was 14th, uh, then sixth in the championship. Um, is it one of those things where you know you're still kind of learning about the bike a little bit, or you've got something different on the bike compared to what you're racing outdoors? Um, I mean, have you got it down now?
2: We have a couple of new bits for the bike, which I think will make a big difference for me. Um, mostly in the whoops. Um but at the same time, yeah, I'm always learning, you know, there's always new stuff to be had. There's always ways to improve. And um, I'm still keen to learn, you know, I think that's the biggest thing and why people get over it is they just get tired of the grind and, and they can't see the, the fun in it anymore or the value, but I'm really just still enjoying what I'm doing. So um, back to your question, kind of the, the, I definitely feel more comfortable and, more in a place where i i know what i'm doing if you will um with the 450 now compared to the first two seasons the first year i was actually during the training camp period i was riding probably the best of my life just had a small mistake that turned into a catastrophe um two weeks before the first race or it could have been you know really good but that that's you know either here or there at this point um so it's just been kind of like i said earlier a little bit of knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them type of deal because the consequences, you know, obviously with racing, they're always high, but with the four fifty and the weight and the power and just the the grind like I was talking about with the the schedule, um, there's some days where you just have to be like, today wasn't my day. And I think I have a much better mix and rhythm and feel for that now and also a better trust in myself um after this outdoor title to be able to to know when I can do that and not feel guilt or feel like I'm behind. Um and, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned is just that that I have to trust my instincts a little bit more sometimes.
1: Do you um, you know, if you were given the choice I mean, you're a two time champion with a two fifty. I mean, if given the choice, what would you prefer to race? I mean, is is the four fifty very much like right, once I've had it I can't go back, or do you have like fond memories of trying to throw the quarter liter bike round?
2: No, I love riding the two fifty. I do quite not quite often, but I have done a couple of times since I've since I raced uh, the two fifty last year at the beginning of outdoors. I did a, a couple hours of testing with it for the team. And then um every now and then I'll just hop on like our photo shoot this year. I hopped on and rode some of the guys' bikes and I quite enjoy it. I mean, I would love to ride race another year of 250 outdoors before my career is over, but we'll see what, what the cards hold.
1: Zach, just a word about, like, you know, again, going back to 9 one—it's a big, big spectacle. It's a big show. Um, there's going to be less crowds in the stadiums, you know. The, uh, that kind of factor of Supercross, we have to see how it evolves with spectator attendance. But, you know, you kind of raced without public to get the series finished in 2020. But this time, it's going to be pretty much like a, a main ingredient of, of the main events, if you will. Um, you know, how, how is that going to affect things? I remember you saying to me in a previous interview as weird, kind of not really hearing anything when you were racing around um but then you know I I I promised myself I wouldn't but I'm going to mention Las Vegas you know with that championship sort of finale that you had I mean do you think it would have had less impact if there wasn't a crowd round like cheering you on and going bananas and you know that must have been a whole part of the celebration thing
2: oh it was most definitely a huge part of the memory still is just like the electricity in the stadium and the guys on the starting line that were going nuts and just the whole situation, you know, we're just in a different, weird, strange, unprecedented time right now where um, everything's different. So it's, it's something that we have to accept and, and move forward. But I mean, as a whole, in my opinion, motocross as a sport, supercross, motocross, MXGP, all of those numbers are the whole the biggest thing that we have going for us is that how close the people can get to the athlete you know uh, it's just like at supercross we have autograph signing every day and autograph signing the night before the race so the the accessibility of the athletes is a huge benefit for our sport not only on the day of the race but altogether in my opinion. Um, and to not have that I, I think it sucks for the people, the fans and and the sport but I, I hope that someday, we can be back to a point where we can go racing again with, with a full stadium and with fans in the pits and signing autographs and shaking hands and doing all the things we used to do. Um, I mean, with there being more people there, I I honestly don't know how many people they're going to allow. I think it's 25% of capacity, which in a stadium like Houston will probably 10 or 15,000, I believe. So it's still going to be rather bare. You know, it's, it's, stadiums in, the, in America are, are massive so when you have 10,000 people in a 60,000 seat stadium it looks like there's no one there still so I mean it's just going to be something we're, we're going to have to get used to and um, until this thing goes away then we're you know we're kind of stuck with it.
1: I mean I've kind of heard interviews with professional football players where they've said you know that not having the the crowd in the stadium has actually kind of impacted some of the the urgency or some of the feeling of, of the game, um, for you racing. I mean, obviously I know you're, you're blocking much of it out, but there must be, is there an aspect of that kind of, you know, that the duration of the main event where, you know, it's, it's just not really the same and there isn't a vibe to kind of feed off, especially if you're coming through the
2: pack. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's strange, you know, especially like you said, when you're coming through the pack, even going back to that Vegas race, um, I felt like every time I made a pass, people, saw it, you know, because I could hear a, a, at least a small roar every now and then, uh, you know, people realizing what was happening. And that's a huge thing in racing is just the the people seeing what's happening during the race or, you know, how it's all going to unfold or what could happen. I mean, that's sport in general, you know. So I, I definitely think that there's something to fans not being there and you're not, you're not hearing that. You know, I, I know in America – there a lot of the sports are playing like fake fan noise and it's so (laughs) terrible like you hear it on tv and you're like no that's that sucks like it shouldn't be like that but it's just where we are and um i i wish that that we could have fans and you know people could see it for what it's what it's worth again
1: speaking about fans can you ever really appreciate the the amount of kind of following that you have I mean, especially kind of overseas, because, there's you know, you have a lot of fans still in Europe and, and the UK. I mean, when you take a good result in Supercross, you know, there's, there's more than just your fans in the US and your family and your friends who are pleased for you. There's probably a, quite an international following that's, you know, willing you on. I mean, we've seen the reactions in the MXGP paddock when you've won your championships and whatever. So is it possible sometimes to step back and uh, appreciate that or are you kind of too much in your own bubble, you know, in more ways than one?
2: No, I, I definitely appreciate that. I think that it's a huge part of who I am. You know, I talk to quite a few GP guys quite regularly and still keep up with a lot of people in the in the pits there. And um, everyone that was on the team, basically from when I was there from Steve's team, you know, I speak to and um, it's it's not at all an under underestimated or underappreciated thing for me. I, I definitely know that... Um, you know, in a sense, they, they feel um, a part of it. So I, I definitely appreciate that.
1: Zach, every year um, people talk about either the best ever season or the most level field or the most unpredictable, you know, championship going. Um, but there really is a, a feeling in the pack this year of, of guys with a certain, you know, amount of vulnerability. I mean, Tomac, as we know, is not such a strong starter. Ken Roxon's had his health issues. Jason Anderson can win or, he, you know, have an injury problem, not be anywhere. Uh, Justin Barsh is on a new bike, new team. This seems like um, there's a raft of favourites, but also they kind of have their question marks. Um, how do you kind of feel about the opposition when you look in the gate around you? Do you kind of feel like, you know, this is, this is, this is a great shot for me? I'm not up against, say, like a serial champion like a Dungy or a Villapodo.
2: Yeah, I, I do believe that there's a little bit of vulnerability around the, the pits, but also, you know, I have to see it for face value and realize that, that you know, all the same pitfalls are there for me. You know, it's just going to be avoiding those right from the get-go, getting the series started off on the right foot like I did the outdoor season. And I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a way to carry momentum from outdoors to Supercross, you know, because the break's typically so long. But at the same time, I managed to do it from Salt Lake to outdoors. So and I won the last supercross race that we did. So for me, there is a little bit of a sense of like, hey, maybe if I can pounce in the beginning and really stack some points in these first three or six or eight races that um, I could be in it down the stretch.
1: How does it work out with, you know, guys like, you know, Marvin and and Cooper? I mean, if you're in a bit of a dice of them and and things are looking juicy, I mean, how do you guys kind of manage to keep that professionalism you know of working together off the track
2: well you know since i've been here uh this is my fifth year going on my fifth year at, at alvin's we haven't really had any run-ins no one you know no no people who are here other than the one with cooper and marvin at houston in 2019 but we also have a good understanding that like, i do with coop anyways that like if it's the last corner, I'm going to smash you. Like that's, that's (laughs) if it's for a win, like you're getting it. And he would say the same. So there, there is a level of respect, but also with professionalism comes that pressure to win. So, you know, if, if I'm not going to take that, take that opportunity, then I need to hang the boots up. So yeah, we, we all have an understanding that there's a chance that we're gonna all three going to get a start and be one, two, three. And have to grind it out down the stretch for a race win. So, um, but we also know that there's not, not any holds barred when there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line each night. And it's when it's time to go, it's time to go.
1: Honestly, who do you think will be your toughest rival? I mean, who are you kind of looking at thinking that's, that's who I've maybe got to measure myself against?
2: Hmm. It's hard. You know, there's so many contenders that, you can't really focus on one person. I think after four, five, maybe six rounds, we're going to have a much more clear picture of of what it looks like as to who's going to be there down the stretch. Um, I, I know for sure Coop and Marv will be be strong, you know, with the training and stuff that we do and how much guidance we have and how, how good things go with the training. I think that, you kind of have to put some weight in that and know that they're doing the same thing as me. And, um, at the end of the day, we're all going to be right there together at the end, you know, what would be the goal. So for me, it's just going to be getting things off to the right start and, and really making it happen.
1: Do you think one of the biggest thing that sucks about supercross is just the fact that at some point you need to not taper off, but enter a zone of kind of, precaution or conserve you know conserve your your physical shape I mean especially especially now like triple header races in one week I mean as much as what you do is is so precise and so aggressive and so you know amazing to watch it's also a little bit like um you know you have to hedge your bets don't you I mean you have to be in it otherwise you know injury just wipes you out for a number of rounds
2: right and that's why I was saying earlier about the the racing being more important than, than riding, and that this is the way the schedule should be. Because to me, you know, if we're riding and taking the risk, we may as well be racing and taking the risk and, and getting paid or potentially paid or whatever. You know, I think to me, we do way more laps in a year practicing than we do racing, and that's not really how it should be. You know, we get paid to race and um, do it well. So if we can do you know, eight weeks of training in the off season, get through that and then just race all the time. I think that's a a better, better look at it for me.
1: I know you're a guy who's kind of satisfied, um, or you appreciate what you've done in your career, but, um, can you just explain the AMX 450 SX title? Is that, I mean, is that like the golden chalice? I mean, you've won (laughs) 250 championships, you've won Grand Prix. Um, you know, your CV is, is pretty impressive, but you know, the championship you're going for now, is, is it the ultimate? Is it—is it the the big pot of gold?
2: Yeah, I would say it is. I mean, it's the most highlighted, um, how do I say it? The most revered championship, in my opinion. Um, and it's the one I don't have, you know? So for me, it's kind of like completing the mantle. Um, and I would love love to win it genuinely. So, it, it, before this summer i never imagined that i would have a chance to win a 450 championship but just because i never really um i wouldn't say held myself to that standard but held myself um possible you know that that i had that possibility or that kind of range so now that i've done that it kind of opened some doors for me to be able to see you know i don't know where the the sky the sky is the limit basically I, I don't know where the limit is so um it's a, a different approach for me this year than than in years past, where I was just like trying to get a podium or trying to get a win, or um, you know, it, it's just a different feeling where I feel like I'm I'm a legit contender for for a 450 Supercross title.
1: Zach, lastly, just generally on Supercross um, in 2020, you know, the sport didn't have the Monster Energy Cup. excuse me which is usually like um an event where stuff gets tried out whether it's joker lanes or um, you know triple moto formats or some kind of uh, novelty with track design or layout um is there any kind of thing you've sort of not even tasted at that event but that you'd like to see happen in supercross or which way the sport could maybe change in the next couple of years
2: Uh, i think that the the monster cup's fun as a one off, but um, for me the the triple crown format, which we've had the last couple of years, is just a lot of sketchiness, a lot of riding. You know, people get tired, make mistakes. It's it's a lot more than than what meets the eye for us. Um, so I kind of wish that would go away. <laughs> but um, for for me, like the the racing more thing is the best way to change the sport. You know, then you have. More of your top guys there every weekend, and you get more time on TV. You get more time um, in the actual eye of the people. So, the the best thing that could happen, in my opinion, is that we race two or three times a week, you know, thirty times a year instead of seventeen times a year.
1: Zach, listen, um, fantastic! Uh, you know, luck this year. Um, I hope everything goes well this weekend, especially uh, with the launch the nerves don't creep up too much and um you know it'd be great to watch you thanks for talking to us
2: thank you so much for having me
0: okay great stuff there from zach osborne and uh you heard from zach that he thinks he's going to be a real title contender this year but supercross is always a bit of a strange one because there's always a couple of riders that stand out as being those regular front runners. But you mentioned earlier, it really is a case of just a war of attrition and whoever's able to
1: stay fittest for the longest
0: tends to give themselves a chance of winning.
1: Yeah, I think it's particularly hard to pick a favourite for 2021. Um, Osborne is right in the mix, I believe. But then I, I, there's literally six to seven other riders. But like we kind of said to him, you know, his peers in the start gate, there there is a, a kind of... Um, weakness with each one of them I mean with Ken Rockson for example he's got the might of HRC behind him he's got a brand new motorcycle as well but that 450 uh, has already proved itself in MXGP last year uh, in the hands of Tim Geiger and won the world championship and Geiger throughout the year was saying how good the bike is and you even had rival manufacturers like Yamaha paying a lot of credit to Honda and their evolution of the chassis and the way the 450 was handling so I don't think you know, of course, there are kind of maybe some technical gremlins that the, the, you know, the American Honda guys need to work through. But, you know, in terms of the capability of the motorcycle, I think Ken Rockton is going to be a very formidable package. But then the big question mark is over his health. Um, you know, is he going to be able to be free of any kind of viruses or illnesses that affected him in 2020? And then you look across and you can see somebody like Eli Tomac, the defending champion. You know, he's lost valuable points over the last couple of years just because, you know, his starts have deserted him or you'd have, you know, two to three wins in a row or two to three podiums in a row, then suddenly pop up with a 12th place because he's fallen off a couple of times. He can't afford to lose those kind of points when he is battling someone against like Ken Roxon. And lastly, I would, you know, probably my main pick for the championship is Webb, Cooper Webb. I mean, KTM, I think... You know, they only took their first win in supercross in 2012, but they've been the predominant manufacturer since 2015 with four titles three with Dungie and one with Webb. Um, and I believe, you know, uh, Cooper Webb has the tenacity, um, he has the spirit, and uh, he just, there's a little bit more about his all round package that's uh, going to bring him to the front.
0: What was the biggest issue for Webb? Because obviously whenever he was in 250s, he was looked upon as being the superstar in the making. And then his first couple of years on the 450 with Yamaha didn't really show much. And then obviously the switch to KTM, he was able to win the championship. But what was the big issue for him that caused that bit of a stall for the first couple of years?
1: Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, I think he underestimated the challenge of the 450 in the first year, um, you know, coupled with, you know, just uh, some injury problems as well, uh, form, uh, maybe, like I said, not being quite mentally ready. But once he switched to the KTM, there was not only the fit with the bike, uh, but also the, the combination with Roger DaCosta, Ian Harrison, and those guys and uh, such a formidable team that had previously been working with Suzuki, that whole framework. Uh, being there in Marietta was was a, a big win for him and i think you know cooper was a young guy who's been who achieved a lot already on the 250 at a young age and again he's another one that's just like coming into you could say the peak of his performance and his capabilities
0: and um, what about ktm then as well in general that because you mentioned there it's really in the last 10 years they've put in this emphasis in supercross and then obviously ktm have also brought the gas gas brand to supercross for this year as well so like the level of investment that they're making is is huge
1: yeah if you look at austrian-based machinery then you know zach osborne of course and jason anderson on the husqvarnas is going to be strong you've got uh, marvin muskan he's in his 11th season of supercross racing um so he's going to be Webb's teammate um, and then, of course, Gas Gas with Justin Barcia. And, you know, if you hear the kind of rumors or the talk already from the test tracks, it seems he's going quickly on that bike. Uh, having ridden factory Hondas and factory Yamahas, this is going to be like a big change for him. Was previously a big athlete for Alpine Stars, now wearing Troy Lee. Uh, was a big athlete for Monster Energy, now riding Red Bull. So there's a lot of change that's gone into that number 51. Um, he's one of the most spectacular riders on the track. And, you know, maybe he can finally put it all together. He's won the opening round for the last two years um you know and there was actually quite a cool thing by Troy Lee Designs and Red Bull where they kind of faked Anaheim 1 uh, over the weekend on, on the internet but uh, he's going to be one of the main guys in in the run in Houston um will he be able to make a championship run uh, that that's another question
0: just uh, about Marvin Muskin then as well because obviously bad injuries last year ruled him out of action you mentioned there he's already got 10 11 years experience in supercross this is whenever he really needs to come through through on that potentially showed that, that a few years ago was because 2018 2019 he looked like he was the real coming man
1: yeah i mean marvin you know is a two-time mx2 world champion and even then you could see he had a level of technique that was far beyond anybody else he was racing against i mean ken roxon was coming up as well but uh he he's going to suffer from missing a whole season in 2020 but marvin i think uh you know just that consistency with, with KTM. I mean, he hasn't ridden for another brand since 2009. And, uh, you know, maybe some some more hunger, you could say, after after missing the championship. He's definitely going to be a guy who's making consistent results. Where they will have a little bit of that kind of spark to go with Tomac and, and Webb and, and Roxan, And even somebody like Barcia or, or you know, a, a kind of hungry again, Jason Anderson, is is another matter. But uh, if he can be in for the long run, then Marvin's going to be top five, fighting top three for sure.
0: You mentioned Jason Anderson there as well, lad. It's two or three years since Anderson actually won a Supercross race. Is he going to be able to make that step back? Or was there any reasons why he struggled for a few years?
1: Yeah, there's been some debate about this. I mean, Jason's quite, um, I want to say private, but you don't see too many interviews with him. Um, He's not too outspoken on social media at all. You know, I think uh, achieving that kind of lifetime goal, of winning the championship, you know, maybe affected some of his motivation, you could say. I mean, this is a lot of the kind of speculation supposed uh, experts on the sport will will say. Um, my own personal view is, is there, there has to be a reason for that. I mean, again, I think injury came into it. Um, also, the, you know, the flowering of other riders like Cooper Webb. Um, I think, you know, Jason maybe got caught. Out a little bit. I mean, he admitted in an interview that you know he struggled to deal with the pressure of wearing that number one plate or having the the attention of being a defending champion. So once he's got around that kind of mental obstacle, uh, maybe being kind of the underdog again will put him right back in the frame.
0: And just before we talk about the reigning champion Eli Tomac I wanted to ask you one question about the bikes as well lad what's the difference between the different bikes because obviously like when when we talk about MotoGP we always talk about you know the Ducati's got a great engine it's got good aero we talk about the Suzuki being a sweet handling bike we talk about all those different things but in terms of Supercross and Motocross what's the differences between the different
1: manufacturers what's the strengths of each yeah well in the main class you've got 450s and you know you've got two kind of support series on the east coast and west running 250s The 450s for a number of years have been um, under scrutiny, you could say, uh, just for the amount of power they provide. I mean, there's been a high level or high rate of injuries uh, in Supercross and people like to point the finger at the bikes. But the fact is now that the the machinery, the frames, the suspension, everything is so capable. I mean, I think it was uh, former 250 champion Jake Weimer said recently, I mean, you can ride around a Supercross track in, in one gear. Um, you know, first, second, third is all you kind of need on a supercross track because of the, you know the, the relentlessness of the jumps um, you know, you're not talking about very fast tracks, it's a lot of talk, uh, it's a lot of Bottom end performance, you know, riders will need a motorcycle that gets them out of the gate because starts are crucial in Supercross. But they also need something that's forgiving to enable them to have the confidence across the circuit. That's going to get chewed up, go through the whoops. It's going to be something that's not going to be swapping around on them. They're going to need confidence. Um, you know that the, the bikes are brutal, but they're they're very. I don't want to say detuned, but they're very suited to the what the rider wants in terms of the power delivery and also you know, the flex and the reliability, the feedback coming from the chassis. I mean, I think, uh, you know, inside KTM, you can see the impact that somebody like Ryan Dungey and Roger DaCosta had on the 450 program. And that actually fed into their MotoGP work because um, a chassis expert like Wolfgang Felber was working for WP with Dungey and DaCosta around 2012, 2013. And he say, he admitted to me in an interview recently that his lessons from dealing with those guys in the U.S. and about how a rider depends absolutely on the chassis kind of fed into his work with Danny Pedrosa and making the the frame of the RC16 in MotoGP. He said that it was imperative that KTM had a quick buy, but also one that gave the rider supreme confidence. Um, And he cited the example last year in Portimao in the last round of MotoGP, where in Q2, Paul Aspargarol, Miguel Oliveira coming out of the final turn onto the main straight, I think he said it's like a 60 degree lean angle and 200K. The riders were absolutely on the limit and looking at the data, the front and the the rear wheels were sliding, but they were not backing off one instant and it helped them towards those excellent qualifying positions. Miguel, of course, qualified on pole. Um, And he said that the result, um, that kind of performance that the guys could enjoy from the the KTM MotoGP bike that's now only four years on the grid came from the work they learned through Supercross and and chassis setup. So uh, just uh,
0: when you look at all those kind of improvements that a manufacturer can take from Supercross and motocross, how important does that show to you that these championships really are now? Because obviously for me, whenever I sit down and I watch Supercross, I watch it solely as a fan. I don't sit there with a journalist hat on. I'm just sitting there to be entertained. When I watch motocross, I watch it just to be able to kind of know what's going on but I don't I don't really understand enough to be able to to talk about it. Like when you see these manufacturers put this level of investment in how how would you explain to just a MotoGP fan like me or a superbike fan the importance of these championships?
1: Yeah, I mean again just a reference back to to setup. I mean a uh, supercross 450 is going to be much harder in suspension, um, you know, than a motocross bike. But what is also important is that the guys are racing essentially production bikes. Because of the AMA rules, it means they're not racing prototypes, which is what you'll find in MSGP. Usually in Grand Prix, the Japanese or the Austrians are trying techniques that they can't really use due to homologation in supercross. But, you know, in answer to your question, Steve, um, I think the best evidence is, is seen again with KTM because it was Stefan Peer, I think, you know, at the beginning of the last decade, uh, was convinced by Pitt Byra to set up you know, an in-house factory team again, um, with Supercross and invest in the likes of Roger DaCosta and Ryan Dungy. And, and he, he's admitted in interviews, um, the CEO, of course, of KTM, Stefan Pira, that, you know, he, he had some doubts. He had some doubts about whether the investment was worth it. But, um, you know, after I think just one year, ktm were winning uh two years later Dungey was was champion and you know he said from a business point of view uh, point of view he could see the benefit straight away not just in terms of brand awareness but even sales i mean having a rider on the front of cereal boxes or you know um, voted as one of the top um, american motorcycling athletes you know within the industry being recognized in much wider circles was was a huge benefit to the brand
0: We've still got another interview to come at the end of the show. We've got Eugene Laverty talking from his perspective of why he loves Supercross. But before we talk to Eugene, I wanted to ask you then about the Kawasaki's in the championship as well. Because obviously Eli Tomac won the championship last year, finally able to get across the line. He's been the nearly man for so long. He's a writer that when you talk to an awful lot of... MotoGP riders or superbike riders he's the one that an awful lot of them really like I know Davi always said that he was his favourite rider to watch from uh,
1: Supercross what is it that makes Tomech so good? It's the outright speed I mean I still can remember being in Glen Helen I mean this is not related to Supercross because it was the motocross he rode um, the US Grand Prix and completely smoked everybody on the 450 I mean he was leagues ahead and I think you've seen that also in Supercross and um, Eli's mysterious inconsistency is his only kind of uh, failing, you could say. But in terms of outright pace, then there's nobody really on the track like him. If I can compare him in in MotoGP senses, he's a a Cuadraro or a Kevin Schwantz or somebody like that. I think um, what is interesting in 2021 is his teammate, Adam Sincerillo. I mean, he could really mix things up. I mean, Sincerillo is going to be a second year kind of, you know, in that framework, on that machinery. Um, he could really kind of upset the apple cart a little bit there. Uh, I would be curious to see how those two teammates um, deal with the results they're going to bring. But uh, for sure, Tomac as the reigning champion finally got the got the deal done. I mean, he's won everything there is to win in the US. Uh, I do wonder how his motivation is going to be for this year.
0: You mentioned seeing Cirillo as well. Obviously, Dylan Fernandez is going to step up as well from the 250 class. There's two young riders that really look. Like uh, they're going to be backed by manufacturers going forward and and be that future star, but seeing Cirillo last year really impressed everyone. I think that jump from a two fifty to a four fifty. You actually wrote about it in this month's on track off road ad. Like, what is the big challenge for someone like Fernandez trying to make that step this year?
1: Yeah, Fernandez is going to be about adapting the 250 style to the 450. Um, you know, he's been doing some good work over the last couple of years with David Vilman, um, you know, a Frenchman who went to the US and had a lot of success in Supercross. Um, didn't you know? From what we could see in, in Grand Prix days, already had a lot of technique and ability to to make that step, and his success has been fantastic to watch. And I think a lot of people in Europe maybe didn't expect him to achieve what he's achieved but it, like you say Steve it's going to be interesting to see because I think um, not only have you got Cianciarello still quite new to the class but you've also got Chase Sexton coming in he's Ken Roxton's HRC teammate um, I think he's only 21 years old so still very young um, I think between him and Ferrandis, it's going to be very cool to see who could be like the the top rookie of the year I think um you know Ferrandez has a little bit of that wild streak in him um you know we've seen it already years ago in MX2 with some tasty battles with Jeffrey Hurlings and you know also in Supercross as well but I think he's going to have to be pay a little bit more respect in the 450 class not only to the bike but also to the people that he's running against
0: you said the difference in riding style between a 250 and a
1: 450 what is that
0: difference is it like one you try and stand the bike up more and use the power or is it is a, a very different thing compared to, you can't really compare it to you know a smaller capacity bike on road racing and a bigger capacity bike
1: yeah it's totally to do with the power also the inertia um you know the way the engine mass is inside the corners it's um i mean the the weight difference between the two bikes is actually minimal i mean they they, they weigh similar things but the way they like again the rotating mass of the engine the 450 just feels heavier going into the corner and coming out Um, in terms of physicality, riders need to be a little stronger, I would say to deal with that entry and exit of the corners. Um, so that's something that you'll see Ferrand focusing on. I think you'll see him maybe a little bit bulkier. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be big and muscly to ride a 450, but in terms of, uh, setting lap times within tenths of a second, especially in supercross, um, you know, you'll see a rider coming from the two fifties who knows he has to maybe step up his work to, to ride the bigger bike
0: just one other question then about the technique as well how much does the track evolve during the course of a night
1: it kind of depends a little bit on um you know the nature of the dirt you could say uh like west coast east coast they tend to be a little bit more different um kind of more stony hard pack it depends on the moisture as well if, if the stadium's open air um then you know the the evening the the condensation that all affects things uh, it depends how much the tracks get chewed up as well. You can see some whoops being very hard set through a main event, but also they can get very rutty. Um, and that's when you send, when, when the pace drops a little bit, you tend to see riders with a bit more technique coming to the fore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always hard to call. Like we'll see in Houston, um, you'll, see, you'll see the dirt there and the way that it's moved through the three different events. Um, Houston, I think, is a, is a roofed uh, venue, so they won't have to worry too much about any weather effects, of course. So it's uh it's curious to see. But yeah, it, it can chew up a lot, Steve. And that makes things um, you know, kind of interesting as well to see.
0: Yeah, you mentioned about the roof. Houston has a roof, Indy has a roof, Dallas has a roof, and Atlanta has a roof, and then the other three are, are outdoors. That's Daytona, Orlando and Salt Lake City. But I'd, for you, one last question. Who's gonna win the four fifty championship?
1: I'm still putting my money on Webb. I think he's gonna he'll he'll make the difference. If again, you know, you you can drop a pin on a page uh, as to which of these guys is going to have a, an injury or, you know, some sort of problem that just sets them back or knocks their performance potential off 10%, um, you know, as we've seen with Roxanne. I think uh, I would, in terms of my heart, I'd love to see Zach do it or or Roxanne, you know, uh, just to see a European take that championship would be something special. Uh, but, you know, I think you know, on the balance, it's gonna be Webb. I mean, let's also bear in mind, Steve, that you know, if you look at the records in Supercross, um, Webb, Anderson and Tomac, uh, you know, if you look at the history, then one of those two is due a title win because I think you have to go all the way back to like the late nineties and Jeff Emig. I mean, he was the last guy who won the championship and then didn't win another 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 title. Since then, since like the late nineties, ninety seven, I think it was. You know, you've had riders repeat winning all the time over and over and over so there's definitely kind of a a formula or a recipe for success and it's up to it's up to maybe Webb Anderson and Tomac to re-establish that that formula
0: yeah well when we hear from Eugene Laverty you're going to see that he nails his his flag to the Ken Rocks and Mast I'm going to go with Marvin Muskin I I I just like to see it I always was a big fan of of Marv whenever he was he was coming through and I liked him a few years ago whenever he was on the KTM him and Dungey was a good team so I'm going to go with Marv I'm not too sure whether or not that's going to happen like I said I'm just a fan of Supercross so I'll (laughs) sit sit there to enjoy the action from this weekend onwards but we're going to get the chance to hear from Eugene Laverty now as well and uh, Eugene's going to talk a lot about why he loves Supercross and the big reason for him is he's able to be just a fan of it so let's hear from Eugene Laverty Eugene Laverty joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast, and Eugene, instead of talking Superbikes, we're going to talk Supercross, and uh, it's one of the real passions that you have for being a fan of racing.
3: Yeah, it's been a long time uh, I've been watching my Supercross, Uh, I think partly because we're starved for a few months of racing once our season's finish, uh, November, December, and then. The supercross kicks off right at the beginning of the new year. So we're all itching to to watch this. So that's the first reason why we all um, are so mad about the first round of the supercross. But I think uh, it's just such good racing. You know, the um, motocross sometimes can be a bit more spread out. The supercross, it's uh, a little bit more like our style of racing where guys can go into a last lap
0: battle. Yeah, I think for me, that's one of the big things I like about supercross. Because, like, obviously, Adam on the podcast, he's always, you know, he tries to bring us into motocross and explain it to us. And it's always good actually when Adam's doing the broadcast as well, because he'll feed us little bits of information to try and make you learn a little bit about it. But motocross to me is always a little bit unaccessible. I can't really understand everything about it. Whereas supercross, the format of the shorter races, big group together, it's a lot easier for me to understand. And it's a lot easier for the crowd. You get it all in that big arena and it's something really unique. Yeah, the format for me is perfect. Uh, a few years ago,
3: they tried to bring in the semi-finals again. And I think that lost uh, interest for a lot of people because the great thing about Supercross is where you've got a couple of heats. If you're a real diehard fan, be able to watch the last chance qualifier to see uh, <laughs> who's going to give it the hell for them last few spots in a you know, short dash race. And then you've got the final. So the semi-finals didn't really work. They came and went. Uh, and now I'm back to watching you know, enjoying the heat, see who goes through and then watching the, the finals. So it is the perfect format. Sometimes those uh, long run out motocross races don't get have the same appeal.
0: For some riders, like when you talk to Johnny Ray, he always basically sounds like a motocross rider that fell into the, for him, the wrong path. He wanted to be a motocross rider. He still looks at himself and thinks that like, yeah, I love doing that. Are you the same or were you always just really, I'm going to go down the road racing route? No, I'm not one of those guys.
3: Honestly, I know that you know Johnny was brilliant at motocross and really, uh, in his heart, he is a off-road rider. But for me, I did it a bit when I was a kid, but it, I never really had that uh, desire to to win races. Whenever I was riding motocross, I enjoyed riding it. But in terms of the competition side, it wasn't until I got on the tarmac where I thought, "Wow, well, this is for me." I just liked the uh, the style of racing that I do. So still, I enjoy riding motocross, but it's, it's not the same for me. Um, it's, it's good to go out and ride
0: for fun, but not against the stopwatch. Yeah, there's nothing quite like Shithouse Corner at Akadu, just to make you want to be a road racer. Then, Yeah, that just really whetted my appetite,
3: didn't it? Just the moment I got to Akadu, and you just gone through the, the chicken run and then uh, Shithouse Corner. Uh, it's the stuff of dreams. Did you ever go over to any of the Supercross rounds? I've only been to one. I went to Las Vegas Supercross uh, as a Monster Energy Cup in 2014. Uh, we were meant to be racing in Russia that weekend. And then uh, at that time, there was the, there was some problems in the country. So the race was was cancelled at the last moment. So uh, uh, at the time, uh, Daniel Ricardo had been texting me about going. And I said, no, I wasn't able to go because of the race. And then as soon as that was cancelled, I was straight on them and said, yep. Yeah. I'm coming. So we flew out to, to do that and then Daniel was heading on to race in Austin afterwards. So basically I just flew out to watch the Supercross <laughs> out for I think maybe three days. Uh watched the Supercross and then flew back with, with some jet lag. So uh, I want to get back for Anaheim 1 one day. This year the calendar's a little bit upside down, but ideally I think Anaheim 1 is the one that everybody wants to go to. Even Christian Eden had said he's getting married later this year and initially the plan for his stag do was to go to Anaheim 1, but that's been discovered.
0: It's not a bad stag in fairness, but I suppose like if you're going to go to Vegas, it's not a bad place for a jolly and uh, throwing the Supercross in the middle of it, it's a uh, pretty good three days. Yeah, that, that was fun. Uh, probably
3: it was a bit of an issue that we were jet like, so we always ended up in, in bed <laughs> early enough each time, but um, no, nah, I think it was pretty fun and even... Uh, is it the media day beforehand we went and I uh, got to watch the guys riding uh, on the media day and, and hire it with Chad Reed's team there. So that just added to the experience. So in terms of uh, going to watch the Supercross, getting to be involved in the media day and all the rest was pretty cool. Have, do you, are you mates with any of the Supercross riders or is it really just something you watch from the outside? Uh, no, no, not really. Um, I met a few of the guys there, like Wilhelm is about the only one that I would keep in touch w- with uh, from from when we met those years ago. But uh, in some ways, I prefer to keep it uh, as a fan. Isn't wasn't it Father Dugal once said, "You should never meet your heroes; you'll only be disappointed." <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Then, who is your hero at in Supercross? Who's the who's the rider that you tend to follow? Difficult to pin out on any uh, one rider. I think Ken Roxon became. Um, a hero of mine just what he's done in the last 12 months I think after the list of injuries he's been through and it was pretty cool to see him come back and, and win and see how much it meant to him but um, also enjoyed watching Ryan Villaporo just because of his approach uh, between Villopoto and Donji and I was a big fan of both of them even though they really had <laughs> different approaches to how to go about it Villapoto put everything on the line and uh, sometimes it was winner or binet, whereas Dungie was a, a bit of a diesel engine, as they said, and just kept on um, trucking just all the way through the season. But that's how he won titles in the end. Yeah, and what do you think for this year's championship? Who's, who's your money going on? In terms of raw speed, it's hard to look past Eli Tomac. Um And last year we saw he is more of a finished article. I'd like to see Roxon get the title because he, he deserves it. Um, because You know, there's no, uh, you just can't put the guy down because he keeps on coming back. So, yeah, it'd be nice to see Roxham win the title.
0: It's always good to see the level of investment that you see in Supercross as well, especially in the US. We've basically seen it that that's the one series that all the manufacturers invest heavily in. And then for this year, obviously, Gas Gas are taking on one of the brands from KTM as well. So they're making a big step into the championship as well. It's it's always exciting to be able to see that kind of thing in, in the sport
3: definitely and not just the manufacturers but you see all the energy uh, drink giants back in uh, the championship as well even though it's backed by monster there's red bull involved and rockstar and all the rest so it, it is huge but same reason why we watch it it's just such uh, a great format the racing and then uh, the fact that it's in a stadium for the fans and everything it's uh it's great and if i was living in the u.s why the hell would you go and watch a baseball game whenever you can go and watch supercross
0: in a stadium well, you get to go to the same stadium as well, so it's, it's perfect. Um, yeah. for, for you, though, Nor, do you get up in the middle of the night to watch it or do you just wait for the next day and uh, try and make sure you're, you're gone cold and social until you see the race? Yeah,
3: I just wait until the next morning. Um, it's not too much of a problem uh, on social. It's more if somebody happens to write in one of the groups on WhatsApp. So it's more that, that you have to, to miss. It doesn't matter how many times you tell people. Just don't tell me the results. There's always some dickhead that writes, Oh, did you see Tom Mac do this last night? You think, just ruined it for me. The the whole excitement for me is watching be it that 15, 20-minute race and not knowing who's going to win it until the last lap. So if I already know the winner, it takes uh, a lot of it away from me. My brother Michael is the opposite. He doesn't care. It's bizarre. You can tell him the race result and that doesn't change it for him. He still enjoys watching it. Whereas for me, I like to
0: keep it as a surprise, I suppose. See, M. always one of those. He, he never likes surprises. He always just wants to be able to <laughs> be in control of what he's watching. He doesn't want his emotions to get too high. You could be the opposite of that with no, Origin. Maybe it's just a case of trying to get that high from it. But when you're when you're watching the races as well, obviously it's a bit similar to BSB race weekends, where it's just one race after the other, action all the way through. And it's that kind of format that obviously, like in World SBK, we're trying to move towards that as well. We're going to have two races and pretty much all the classes at all the rounds next year. So Saturday becomes full, Sunday becomes full. Is that the kind of format that for you watching Supercross as a fan that really adds to it as well? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's more bang for
3: your buck. and There's a reason why you do watch the heat races as well because some people will just cut straight to the, the final. And Like I said, I was doing that whenever they brought in the heats and then the semifinals in the final because then suddenly you were sat there watching it for a couple of hours but just having the, the heat and then uh, one guy may end up having issues in that and he has to go through the last chance and then you'll watch that last chance format so it keeps uh, keeps things exciting so i think you have to spice things up a little bit if you just have the same kind of format then
0: uh, yeah uh,
3: that's what keeps people coming back to supercross keeps you excited
0: one last supercross question for you then are you actually going to get your own video pass this year or you're going to keep logging into mine Uh, No, no, I don't use yours. I use Christian Dittons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as long as you're still getting it 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 from someone and not having to pay for it, that's all that matters.
3: Yeah, I know. It's it's mad, isn't it? That's that's the way nowadays. Isn't there some of the memes that go around about the the Netflix actual account folder? Um, Whenever these uh, lockdowns happen, how many people just jump onto his. We even had it with their Netflix uh, account. Pippa gave it out to so many people that then I had to upgrade to the next level because I wasn't even able to access my own Netflix because everybody else was watching it at the same time so I do pay for some things just uh, Christian was such a super fan that he logged on to get his media pass first and then
0: passed on the details to me well just remember with Netflix all you have to do is click that button that says log out all devices change your password and then you're back in control of it and you don't even have to spend the extra five quid a month Right, you can cut that bit out of the interview then. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we let you go as well, Eugene, obviously it'd be remiss not to ask you about your new project for next year. Obviously, you're going to stay with BMW in World SPK, but a new team for you as well.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm really happy to be staying on the same uh, bike. I know it's uh, a step up with this new M bike, but one year is uh, tough enough nowadays in words for bikes to get your head around a bike. But essentially, we had half a season, didn't we? So, I was just kind of finding my feet. So, really happy to be staying on board with the BMW, knowing the direction the bike needs to, to go. And uh, yeah, the RC uh, squad, of course, they're going to be a pretty good little team. So,
0: let's see what 2021 brings. Just for that, obviously, moving on to new team, same bike, second year, we've got a few riders in that kind of situation Alex Lowe's on the Kawasaki, Top Rack on the Yamaha, yourself. And it was almost as if that first year, was a struggle for all three of you because like obviously Toprak had some great results but he had some inconsistent results as well aragon was a struggle for him alex obviously won a race but then you know he was very up and down as well at different times through the season for you you had a pole position you had a couple of good races but it was a tough season as well it wasn't really a first year on the bike and maybe now into the second year that's where this nearly becomes you've almost had like a long winter of testing compared to a normal year and then next year is whenever all three of you can really show that full potential for a full season.
3: Yeah, and it is an odd how our season isn't worth Advice because sometimes Phillip Island can give a completely mixed uh, view on how the season is going to be because I did the same on Suzuki back in 2014. Uh, we saw Alex and Toprak both win in Phillip Island and then struggle a little bit after that. So Philip Biden is so odd, especially with there being no hard braking areas. And that's where a lot of the time is made nowadays in, uh, in sports that bike racing, because of the, the strength of that Pirelli front tire, you've got to be able to push it like hell. So Philip Biden, uh, you don't have to do that. It's all about making uh, the thing flow. So even if you're not 100% comfortable in the bike, sometimes you can be fast there. Um, I think the key now is, it's going to be testing. I've, Got a good idea of what the bike needs. I'm sure Top Rack will with Yamaha and, and Alex with the Kawasaki, and we'll see a lot of the guys that uh, were rookies on the bike in 2020 step up in 2021. Okay, well, thanks for joining us on the pod, Eugene.
0: No worries, Steve. Okay, thanks for joining us on the show eugene and ad thanks for joining us on the show obviously uh, the interview with zach was really interesting as well to give everyone a, a good insight into it and hopefully through the course of the year we're going to be able to do a couple of updates
1: on supercross as well yeah it'd be fantastic to do i mean uh I think, as Zach pointed out in his interview, uh, one of the big attractions of the sports team is that, you know, the the riders are accessible. Um, You know, that's one thing that they like with the fans. I mean, Supercross is a, a one day hit. It's usually very chaotic for the riders compared to, say, like a Grand Prix, which is spread over a weekend. But um, yeah, you know, being able to talk with these guys and and you know get them on the end of a phone or a Zoom call is is, is a big attraction. So uh, yeah, let's see if we can uh, chat to maybe some of the points leaders as as we get further into the season.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for joining us on the show, Ad. And obviously, from next week, we'll be back to normal programming on the Paddock Pass podcast back to some MotoGP action Neil will be back on the show as well and uh, so for myself Steve English from Adam Wheeler a big thank you to everyone for listening to this week's show make sure to follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod and you can tweet us with any questions that you have as well whether they're related to the Supercross this weekend ads on site to be able to give his insight on that or whether it's World Superbikes or MotoGP as well and you can also support the Paddock Pass podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast and uh we'll be able to for as little as three dollars a month be able to support the podcast and that'll also get you some exclusive content as well